This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle. Sometime every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right. And we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. So great to have you along. Ava's on the board. Christian taking your calls. Kevin back in the saddle supervising the activities here. If you're listening to us on Terrestrial Radio, the most powerful radio station in the nation, up and down the eastern seaboard. Or if you're listening to us online, wabcradio.com. It streams all the time. Or on the great app that we have that lets you get all the podcasts and stream the programs. It's great to have you along. We'll be here for two hours then at 4 o'clock. Curtis Lee, what comes in? And this is the first time he and I are going to be chatting since all the news went down about Eric Adams, his chief fundraiser's home getting raided. Oh, boy, oh, boy. If you want to know, you know, if you want to know what makes Curtis Sliwa howl and yell, that's easy, just about everything. It's hard to make that guy smile, but today, this week, he's been walking around with a smile on his face because he, uh, his bet noir, his arch nemesis seems to be in hot water. We'll talk about that at four o'clock on left versus right. It's great to have you along. Kind of a great day outside, but at least it's not raining. Early, early morning game today. Jordan, uh, they lost their first game. Got beaten pretty soundly by a team from Dix Hills, Long Island. Congratulations to them. They were a good team. Excellent goaltending. Some excellent players. Well coached. <clears throat> it was, you know, so when I, you know, Jordan, as I told you, started playing hockey relatively late for a hockey player. I guess he was 10, 9, 9, 10. And I, I, you know, I remember before I started being a hockey dad, I remember seeing parents of athletes and seeing them howling and yelling and working over the refs and generally getting too excited. And I say, I'm never going to be one of those guys. But I, as a hockey player myself, I kind of 
it's hard. It's like hard for me to sit there and I've gotten, I've let it slip a little bit in. And, um, and I, th- what happened this week is that Jordan has started playing a different position. He's been a forward up until now. And his coach put him on defense, which is actually a real compliment. You have to be a much better skater to be a defenseman, much more responsible where you are in the ice is much more prescribed. It's a harder position to play. And I'm very proud of Jordan for taking to it. Um, and today after the first period, you know, Jordan plays right defense. And after the first period, they had, it seemed like they had switched him for some reason, put him on the other side. And, um, it confused him. It, and I, and I was trying to, I don't know. Anyway, I started to bark a little bit from, from the stands. And, um, all that being said, Jordan, Jordan didn't have a great game, but he wasn't, he was terribly actually, he did fine, but he didn't have a great game. And I think that I embarrassed him a little bit by cheering or yelling or cajoling a little bit too loud. So I'm trying to make amends to him today. Um, so I'm doing that. That's what's going on in my life. Uh, in Washington this week, George Santos still has a seat. As I mentioned last week, I didn't think they should throw him out. Let the process play itself out. If, you know, if he's, he's, he's not going to serve another term, he's probably going to plead guilty and surrender his seat before the time that he has to stand for reelection. So there will be accountability. Great week for the markets. You just heard on more money. Um, the standards of poor 500 up 6% this week. Great week for the market. It's kind of weird because the jobs number was down a little bit for those of us who are just amateur economics guys. I guess they see the Fed will see less pressure with less employment, you know, with, with fewer job creation, less employment. I don't know, something like that, but it's good news. If you want to get in on the conversation, it's 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Some interesting polling this week. If you recall, when all the stuff about RFK was going on, and I kept saying to people who said, oh, this is going to be bad for Biden. I kept saying, I don't think he's drawing any, any votes from Biden. Then he became an independent. Everyone said, oh, my God, this is going to be bad for everyone. Finally, we're starting to see some polling that shows what I predicted, that Kennedy's actually drawing more Trump votes than Biden votes. There was a Quinnipiac poll, found the same thing that everyone else found. Basically, the two guys are tied, Biden and, and Trump, 47-46 Biden, this poll was. And then they polled with Kennedy in, and then it was Biden, 39-36 Trump, 22 Kennedy. So in other words, Biden's lead went up um, a couple of points when RFK was put in the mix. I think by the time Election Day comes, Kennedy will be down to virtually nothing. But all it takes is a couple of votes. And yeah, as I've been saying over and over again in some in some key states, and that's all it takes. Another poll this week about Republicans in Congress. Um Twelve percent of the American public approves the way the Republicans are running Congress and the House of Representatives, 72 percent disapprove. They have a new speaker. We've talked about that a little bit. But there is some light at the ends of these various tunnels. There's a proposal that was brought up last week, a bipartisan proposal. Well, I think it's bipartisan here. I'll describe it to you. Add a thousand more border officers. 1,600 more asylum officers to have hearings. So asylum um, people come in declaring asylum, like the ones coming here to New York. They have their hearings much quicker. 375 judges that oversee those asylum officers. And 100 new screening machines at our borders to screen vehicles who bring in fentanyl. Um, and in the second hour, we'll talk a little bit about what happened with that proposal and what's been going on in Washington. You may already have a hint on 
what I'm going to be telling you. But I want to start with the war in Gaza. And um, I have to confess, I have been listening to the radio less and watching TV less. This is just, it's very troubling to me. Part of it is because I hear people commenting about this stuff that aggravate me. I'll be very honest with you, I, I, that aggravate me even because they don't understand something or aggravate me because of the pitching they're taking or aggravate me for the phoniness of it or whatever. And I've talked about this before, but when I was in public life, I was a partisan Democrat. I was a Democrat. I've said before in these airwaves, I probably said it when I was in public, you know, I'd rather chew my arm off than vote for a Republican. I'm a Democrat all the way. But when I served on the Judiciary Committee, I focused on crime, on getting money for cities to clear out their backlog of DNA evidence. That was one of my accomplishments. Um, so, I, you know, we could put more people behind bars. I was the sponsor of the law that paid for more cops on the street. I was even pro-death penalty. I eventually came around on that towards the the tail end of my career, but I was done the death penalty. Um, I was no conservative. I was best known during the health care debate for my strong support of single-payer health care, expanding Medicare to cover all Americans. And I was proudly and loudly pro-Israel. But I, you know, I represented a district that had some very conservative areas in of Glendale, Rockaway, where Sid lives, and Broad Channel, places like that. And one of the ways that, uh, you know, so I wasn't, you know, people say, well, you shouldn't call yourself the middle. I kind of was as a respect of the Democratic Party and probably would be today. And and when I, I was hawkish on Israel and I came to be, you know, I know these issues and I know that they're complicated and they require a good deal of history. And I've been saying that a lot. But I say to my friends on the left, um. There are some uses of vocabulary and phrases and terms that are getting thrown around that I just feel we need to take a little bit of a step back from. By the way, it is totally okay to be supportive of Israel but also feel compassion for the plight of the Palestinians. They're, they're, you know, it's untenable the situation that the Palestinians are in. And you can make arguments that it's by the – you know, the, the choosing of their leaders or by their own decisions, whatnot. But it's totally okay. It's okay to be critical of Israel's prime minister or the policies of Israel. That's totally okay. Around around the, 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 the Shabbat table last night, I'm sure there are a lot of fervent Zionists who, are, who have raised serious questions about Bibi Netanyahu. And I want to say something else. It's also fine to say, oh, I, I want a ceasefire or a pause fire or a no fire. People are allowed to say that. And it's just as right for people on the other side to explain why those things are impossible or untenable or explaining the Israeli position for not doing those kinds of things. But some parts of this debate are so ahistorical, are so seemingly beyond the pale that I do, I realize just not watching people talk about it, just listening to people talk about it, watching just seeing people on the street doing the, talking, saying these things and holding up signs, I just feel like I just want to do my best here. The one thing is to say that Israel is engaged in genocide should not be tolerated. That should not be part of the vocabulary. And if you're using it because you think it's truthful, I just want to just remind you, ladies and gentlemen, the Palestinian population in the last 20 years has increased 100%. I've heard statistics 40 to 50% of 
the of the territories are children, you know, or people under 18. The violence that has cost Palestinian lives, in as much as there has been a single one, it's tragic. After the Hamas attack on Israel in 2014, this is not a new thing for them, 4,000 rockets fell. And there, a war started afterwards. 2,000 Palestinians died. Last year, in 2022, 146 Palestinians were killed in the West Bank. Tragic. 153 this year. These are terrible things, but it is not a genocide. And I'm sure that supporters of the Palestinians who know anything about this understand that some people who use that word are just trying to minimize the actual Holocaust, which was, of course, a genocide. And I want to remind my listeners, the world population is still smaller the population of Jews in the world is still smaller than it was in 1939. Think about that for a minute. Two generations have gone by, but because we lost the six million, the population of Jews is still smaller than it was. And this Arab-Israeli, the Arab-Jewish conflict is really a way to put it long before Israel came along. This conflict has been going on. It's estimated about 120,000 Arabs and Jews combined have died. 120,000. And I get people who want to say, oh, my God, that's terrible. It is. But I don't hear people standing up and complaining about the 500,000 that have died in the Syrian civil wars just since 2011. So if you want to go around and call this a genocide, stop. Just stop. You might not know any better, but now I'm telling you. And then I hear these kids not just kids. I mean, even Talib say it. Israel is an apartheid state. Stop it, please. You're cheapening that word. Arabs vote in Israel. They have members of the Knesset in Israel. They have the rights and protections under the Constitution. 25% of the entire population of Israel is either Arab or Druze. About 20% is Arab. If you don't like the way... The democracy of Israel functions. Congratulations. You can have the democracy that brought you Gaza. And you can live in Gaza where the penalty for engaging in same-sex marriage is death. And the penalty for protesting for equal rights for women is death. So maybe keep the word apartheid out of your mouth also. If you want to be historically, I mean, rigorous, I'm saying there are people who use these phrases who don't know any better. And then there's the big one. And this one, it seems to be accepted on college campuses. It seems like all the hipsters like to talk about it. I was just watching this rally in Washington in favor of Palestinian rights. And it's this idea of colonialization. I am curious, my brothers and sisters, who colonialized what? The the Jewish people have been in that part of the world, as have the Palestinians, for generations upon generations upon generations. Who did the colonizing? And if you want to start the calendar in 1948 and say, oh, it was colonization by the British. Well, the partition plan that would have given the Palestinians their state in 1948 
was a, a United Nations plan. I thought my liberal friends believe in the rule of law, believe in international institutions. And I, I find it fascinating that everyone who protests about the colonization don't point out that France created Syria and Lebanon. The Brits also created Iraq and Jordan. What do you think happens when the Ottoman Empire collapses? Nations get created. And then people migrate. The same exact liberals who tell me we should welcome people at the southern border because they're migrating for another life and we should protect their rights and make sure they're not discriminated against. Forget that that's what the Jews did. Since 1948, I've heard this number over and over again. 700,000 Palestinians lost their homes in what is now Israel. Do you know how many Jews were kicked out of the Arab states? 900,000. People move around. Calling it a, calling it colonization. And then the funny thing is, I hear these kids on college campuses and even these professors talk about the European whites doing the colonizing. Do they even know who the people of Israel were? Are? Sure, some people came there after the Shoah. Sure, people have come there when they were chased out of European places. But over half the country came from other places in the Arab world. This is a part of the world that people have been traveling around, living and settling, battling, throwing elbows, trying to figure out borderlines forever. Don't rewrite history. But if you're going to go like a raider as a terrorist and go and slit people's throats and take babies hostage and and kill people at a festival music festival and then say i'm going to go have a protest in your honor when you do that what has liberalism come to what liberal principle said celebrate that and for everyone who says oh i'm not saying i like hamas i'm saying i just don't like israel Would it kill you to say that then? And one more thing. If you're tearing down posters of Jews who are held hostage because they're Jews, you, my friend, are an anti-Semite. Period. An end of conversation. And we'll be right back after the break. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. 
finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Welcome back to the middle. That's 10,000 Maniacs bringing us back in. They were, I think they're from central New York or something, because when I was up in Plattsburgh in the 80s, I went to the State University of Plattsburgh, the Harvard of Clinton County, New York. They would play, like, gigs in local bars and stuff. They were, I think they're from, maybe someone knows, uh, central, all, somewhere around Albany or something like that. So we're talking a little bit about what's going on in the Middle East, and I am getting some things off my chest. And, um, and, and listen, I... I told, you know, as I said, as part of the intro to this, you know, part of it is just that I find that language is getting used. It's so ahistorical. You know, you can have all kinds of different positions on this stuff. And by the way, you know, you know, people are freaking out. Oh, should there be a pause? Should there be a ceasefire? It's totally cool for people to have that instinct when they see violence going on that's killing people. And especially young people to say peace now for everybody. I get it. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I disagree and I understand, you know, when your opposition, if you're Israel, when your opposition is living underground and in 300 miles or so of tunnels and you're chasing them out of the holes, right? They can't really, they they can't stay down there forever. You're trying to chase them out of these holes and you're, you're encircling them. Well, how does the ceasefire, what does it look like for the Israeli side, like what's the benefit of that militarily when you're trying to kill the people so that they don't kill any more of your people and they don't enslave the Palestinians anymore? What does that look like? You know, so when 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 Tony Blinken go, goes there last week and gave some more great remarks, very supportive of Israel, and says we think that there should be a humanitarian freeze or whatever it is, I get, I get the idea and concept, but what does it actually mean for Israel? Like why would you do that if you're a general – commanding Israeli forces because all that allows to happen is whoever you're chasing in those tunnels to get further ensconced. But I, by the way, did you see what is in those tunnels? 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And again, who knows the sources of these things, but it was reported 400,000 gallons of fuel is in the tunnels because the Terrorists need, Hamas terrorists that live down there need the fuel in order to keep the oxygen running down there so they live. 
<clears throat> so when you hear someone say, oh, hospitals are running low on fuel, people are running low on fuel, let's have emergency, how come no one says, hey, Hamas, go give them your fuel? <laughs> like, why is it on Israel to go give them fuel? Or on Egypt? Or on the international community? There's already fuel right there. And then people like my friend Catherine says, well, because Israel is trying to be better than the terrorists. They're trying to be the United States. We're not a terrorist. We observe the rules of law. I get it. I'm just trying to point out to the people who are saying this is the obligation of the country that just had children slaughtered. To go figure out a way to get them fuel. There's 400,000 gallons of it under the underground there. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying, but if you want to call for a ceasefire, look, young people standing up and saying peace now and forever is fine. Now you say Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. You're saying you favor a one state solution and it doesn't include Israel, which doesn't sound to me like a very liberal concept. <laughs> it doesn't sound to me what my friends and I, and I'm, I'm not being ironic. I'm being these are my friends. This is my team, you know. And to all this attention being played to Rashida, what are these people called? Talib and to these other ones. Who cares? It's like five of them. And we focus on them like they're a big deal. Five of them that are Palestinian themselves, some of them, represent Palestinian communities. Relax. Let them say whatever they want. Who cares? I mean, they know better, right? These people know better. They're playing politics. Cool. Anyway, so let's do some calls. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Christian's helping us take the calls today, and it would be great to have some of them coming in from all of you. Let's start with Jim in New York. Hey, Jim. In the wood shifted in Brook, four, five, five or six of them. So I threw them out already. Jim, Hello? Jim, yeah, you're on WABC, 77 Talk Radio, the most powerful radio station in the nation. Hi, yes. Uh, welcome to ABC. Thank um, you, pal. Quick question. I think I heard it on your station, but did Kamala Harris's daughter uh, fundraise something like eleven million dollars for, for the Palestinian <laughs> uprising? No, no, no. She, the pal, uh, Kamala Harris's stepdaughter, her husband's daughter from a previous marriage, put a link up on her Instagram page or something to a an organization that's raising money for Palestinian children or something like that. Okay, just I was I, I wasn't sure whether it was going to be a whether it was going to go to terrorists or what. No, I don't no. know. I, you, it's against the law to raise money for terrorists in the United States of America, so I doubt it. But look, there are plenty of there are plenty of. I appreciate you calling, Jim. I hope you get that book situation worked out. There's there's plenty of um of people who are very well meaning that care about the Palestinian children. If they did, they should be outstanding. They should be standing right now outside the Israeli consulate on Third Avenue or wherever it is. And saying, thank you for getting rid of Hamas for us. I mean, if you really care about Palestinian children, you cannot be happy about Hamas using the tunnels underneath your hospitals and schools and apartment buildings to launch terrorism against your, your fellow, your, your neighbors. Um, next, let's go to Adam and Mignola. Hey, Adam. How are you doing today, sir? I'm well, Adam. I want to, you know, I wish I could find out out of all those people that died in Palestinians, people I'm talking about, how many of them were actually Hamas and how many were civilians. And I want to say that 
you know, the civilians of Palestine or, or whatever that area is, they need to fight Hamas and, and get them out of there. They, they're losing their lives anyway. Yeah. They might as well get rid of Hamas, man, and take over, man, because they don't have to live like that, man. That's a shame, man. Well, I, I agree with you, Adam, and that's the right sentiment. I mean, you know, people say there's no one innocent there. No, that's not true. I don't think – first of all, all the children are innocent. They're children. I appreciate the call, Adam. I mean, look, there was an opportunity in 2005 for the people of the of Gaza when they were given independence from Israel. And that independence is too strong a word. I'm going to be fair. When they when Israel left their lands and they was they had free and fair elections. Jimmy Carter was involved with supervising them, et cetera. They chose Hamas to be their leadership. Now, Hamas has and had a non-terrorist arm, and maybe they thought they'd run this situation better. And ever since then, I bet you if you had a poll last year, even before this terrorism started, they probably would have said, we want no part of Hamas. But to some degree, you can't build 300 miles of tunnel underneath your major cities without the citizens knowing it. And when Israel says, leave northern Gaza now, because we're going to start, you know, coming in there after Hamas. You got to leave because you know Hamas is literally living literally underneath your feet. Now, as far as who's dying, it's it's the fog of war. We don't know. I know is when you when you hear Hamas say something, I would take it with a grain of salt. And when you hear the Israelis say something and they have a free, a free and open um, press, they have a, a they have a democracy that's accountable to the people. There's more incentive for them to tell the truth in the Palestinian than Hamas, but I don't think you ever really know. How about Al and Yonkers? Hey, Al, welcome back. Oh, good afternoon, Congressman. You know, Congressman, I just wanted to say I thought that uh, prominent politicians and persons like uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, Sid Rosenthal, uh, the longtime assemblyman who's no longer in office, uh, Dove Heifkin, uh, they've been out there uh, speaking in support of the state of Israel uh, yourself. But today today you sound like you might be more inclined for uh, a pause. And I just wanted to say that uh, senators like uh, who are the, of the Jewish face, of faith, like uh, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, Senator Rosenthal in uh, Connecticut, uh, I, I think they should be a little more visible out there uh, speaking up, and uh, they're not. That's my own opinion. Yeah, I disagree. I don't know what I appreciate. Al. I appreciate the call. Yeah, I, I I, actually explained why I didn't think a ceasefire would work and is practical and makes any sense. And and um, I don't need to repeat it. But basically that what does Israel get out of that? They don't get the, their hostages back. They let the terrorists run and hide a little more. And frankly, if people are concerned about humanitarian needs being met by the Palestinians, they should just tell Hamas to give the Palestinian people things like the fuel. But as far as Chuck Schumer, Chuck Schumer literally, you know, cut short a, a meeting with the president of China and flew directly to Israel. Um, he's been involved in shepherding through the money to for free. And there's no there's no stronger pro-Israel guy in, in the world. I, um, uh, so I don't know. And I I I think he's been he's been doing great. I think so is Joe Biden. I think I think that. Listen, I have to tell you, I think 400 some on members of Congress joined together with a strong show of support for Israel. I think, and we're going to talk a little bit this next hour, if the Republicans would stop playing politics with Israel aid, that would be just great. 
like mixing is related with some ridiculous argument about the IRS, like as if that's what we should be doing right now when, when our ally is at war. And it's the Republicans, not the Democrats, that are getting weak in the knees about standing up to Putin. If anyone needed any reminder about what team you should be on in Ukraine versus Russia, Russia provided aid to Hezbollah. Iran provided aid to Hezbollah. Russia provided aid to Iran. Russia just hosted the head of Iran. Russia just hosted the head of, of, of Hamas. And yet people in Washington are like, oh, let's not have open-ended support for the Ukrainians. It's, it's you know, you got to do both. We have to stand up for the good has to stand up against evil in this world. That's the way this has to go down. We'll have some more calls when we get back. I'm taking you to the top of the hour. Curtis Lee will coming in for left versus right at, wait, no, I'm taking you to four. And then Curtis Lee will coming in. I want to rush this along. I'm having such a good time. This is Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. And we'll see you on the other side. Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. I'll be taking you until 4 o'clock. We're a two-hour show now because of you, the listeners. Really been great response to the program. We've been on now. Oh, we're coming up on like, I don't know, a couple of years, whatever it is. Um, you know, one other thing that get, I'm, I'm kind of getting a lot off my chest, mostly directed at my my friends, my lancemen on the left. Would you stop calling the Israeli settlers? They've been there for 2,000 years, more. You know, the same left types who talk about the indigenous peoples. I got news for you. The Jews are the indigenous people of the Holy Land. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, are you going to call Kamala Harris a settler because her people came from another country? And, 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 and we, the left, we're all about you know, respecting the rights of immigrants. And the Israelis have been there forever, and they've been there five, six, seven generations.
You can't be an anti-racist and then say, let's kill the Jews. <laughs> and I know, I know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm like, I hear my, my friends yelling at the radio, we don't say that. You are. When you say from the river to the sea, Palestine, Palestine shall be free. Free of who? That's what Hamas says. Hamas says from the river to the sea, we're going to get rid of the Zions, the Zionists, the Jews. They're an anti-Jewish organization. That's who you're standing up for. I mean, you can take a side in this battle between two groups on where lines should be drawn and who has what rights and where, blah, blah, blah. You can do that. Fine. But stop using the language of things like settlers and, and I mean, and you can't be an anti-racist and then, and then be in favor of eliminating the state of Israel, the Jewish state. And I don't hear anyone standing up and saying, let's get rid of all these Muslim states that forced out Jews after 1948 and said, you've got a country now, go there. And there were more of them than Palestinians. <laughs> I just think it's such fun. It's such hypocrisy. Or worse, no, better than hypocrisy. It's just ignorance. And I think that's probably what it is. I mean... Right now, today, most Israelis descended from people who migrated to the Holy Land between 1881 and the birth of the country. (laughs) Those people are, what are they? They are indigenous. If you support indigenous peoples, they, there, you got them. Let's get a few more calls in, and let's start with uh, Chris in Bedford. Hey, Chris. Hey, Congressman, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, I really support what you're saying on Israel. I think it's, um, you know, I think they should get no ceasefire. The the Jews should be allowed to rain holy hellfire down on the Palestinians for what they did. And I just wanted to pivot, though, to what uh, the new speaker is doing with relation to the IRS. I I, I think we need some type of balanced budget in place because our spending is just out of control. It, It used to be in the past that, you would increase spending during low inflation rates to stimulate the economy, and, and that's fine. But now the, the Fed and Congress, they need to get on the, same, on the same side. And when you're increasing rates, you need to put cuts in place. So for me, everybody in the past used to say, look, we're putting our future's kids in jeopardy. Well, that time has come. Kids are – the young families are locked out of the housing market. They're living in their pa- parents' basements. They're putting their futures on hold. So when a new speaker comes in, he goes, look, this is a popular support of Israel, but we have to do it with a cut to the IRS. I'm all for that. I think it makes sound. Well, let me ask you, but Chris, you're leaving out a part of the, you're leaving out a part of the, of the analysis and you know which one I'm going to say. Would you rather give Jeff Bezos a 1% cut in his taxes or help the is or help Israel vanquish Hamas. What would you rather do? Well, I, I think that's. I think obviously I want to see Israel, but but what you're saying is we're spending through the roof. So it, it's not just Jeff Bezos. Everybody's getting a tax increase when they go to the supermarket, and eggs are seven dollars. No, I no, I feel you. No, it's very. It's it's this is an expensive time to be living in the United States of America. But we're talking about about. Uh, about fiscal policy, right? You're talking about what, how we spend, but fiscal policy is not just how we spend. Look, Chris, you've heard me say it on this air before. 
We are an insurance company with an army. <laughs> I mean, that's that's right there what I just described. And we've incurred a lot of debt, so we pay a lot of interest on our debt. Those three pieces are something like 95% of our money. And I get it. But the IRS thing, you should not. You're someone who knows this stuff pretty well. You know that's a gimmick that costs us money. It it, it, it increases our deficits. Yeah. I, why we don't test things out a little bit more, a flat tax, a VAT tax. Test these things out. Let them, let them close down after three years if it's not working. We can revert back to this crazy tax policy that we have right now. I know, but Chris, here's what, and I appreciate that. The only problem with this kind of test it and see how it goes thing is that's the opposite of what most people who are in business who create jobs say. They say that if anything, the United States of America does that too much. You know, first you can deduct state and local taxes for years and years so people make investment based on it. Oh, now we're going to take it away. Or we're going to have an incentive for this under one administration, not under another administration. Look, I don't think a flat tax does anything. If I believe we should have a progressive tax. I believe Chris should pay a lower percentage of his tax than Jeff Bezos does because he's not going to, you know, he's going to use his money to buy another room for his $50 million um, house. I think it's totally fine. I just think when it comes to something like the war on terrorism here in the United States or in Ukraine, you don't play domestic gotcha games with the the, the IRS. Come on. That's not that's not right. Let's go to Joe in Manhattan. Hey, Joe. Hi, uh, Anthony. If I may call you by your first name, you I may. know you're a, co- a former uh, congressman as well. Thank you. Indeed. You know, you are, in my humble opinion, your show is uh, probably top two or three on this station or anywhere else I listen to on the radio. All right. Now, the question I have from you, if you don't mind, is uh, why do hosts, you know, give their own opinion about any comment that they are making, right? And then ask listeners to do their own, provide their own comment in turn. Because it's better if they don't provide their opinion, the hosts, so that callers will call, right, uh, without any bias. But, Joe, what should I say when I pick up the microphone every week? Uh, no, you're doing great. I'm not complaining about you at all. I'm just asking your opinion, you know. Since you're uh, a, an attorney as well, right? Well, like, I'm not. I, I'm not an attorney. You, 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 I, I understand the assumption since I am so gifted at talking about the law. But Joe, but I, I hear you, and I appreciate the thought. If I think what you're saying is I should make this more, I think a call is to my show are are just great, and I and I think that that's true of a lot of a lot of the shows here. If you took out the caller's input. The callers are the stir, are the straw that stirs the drink, as they used to say about Reggie Jackson. Um, but I don't think you can take away Greg Kelly's opinions and still have a good show or take away Bo Snerdley's opinions and still have a good show or take away Sid's opinion. I think we're opinion radio with great news, with that, that does breaking news and does top of the hour news. I think that's part of what makes it work. I, but in this tango that exists, this dance that exists between callers and hosts, I think that the really gifted radio guys, and I don't put myself in this group, the really gifted radio men and women are the ones that it really is. You don't know what's going to happen next. Everyone doesn't say the same thing, that when someone wants to be confrontational, they feel that their view is welcome on the radio and welcome on a show. 
that if they say something boneheaded that they should not feel like, okay, I would be called a bonehead if I said this at my bowling league. I'm going to say it on the radio. I'm also going to be called. I think that that is a real gift of a good show host. And I think it's not easy to do. And I appreciate Joe being part of that. And I appreciate all of you who have called in at 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. We'll take a few more calls to the top of the hour. And then starting in the next hour, I'm going to pivot a little bit, basically the same jumping off point, but talk a little bit about how Washington has responded to the crisis in the Middle East and to the war between Israel and her terrorist neighbors. And uh, we're going to talk about that at the top of the hour. And then at 4 o'clock, me and Curtis Leo, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to put up my legs. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. I'm going to put my mic on off and just listen to Curtis Leo rip into Eric Adams for an hour about his fundraising scandal. Um, I know he's going to be excited to do that. It's Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. So great to have you aboard. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Bad Manners from my ska period, which lasted about 30 years. I should start listening to a little more ska. That's great gym music. That's Bad Manners with Lorraine. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about what's going on in the Middle East, and I'm going to take you to 4 o'clock, then Curtis is going to come in. I mean, look, it, it is, I, I, I think I should be. I got a couple of texts from friends of mine who like are like, what happened to you? Where have we lost you? That kind of thing. And... With the undercurrent being that I'm being impatient with people who don't know better. Or it could be. It could be that a lot of the people who are saying these things don't know better. But then a lot of them are college professors and a lot of people on college campuses. Speaking of which, let's go to Bronwyn. And where are you calling from, Bronwyn? Are you there? No, this is. Uh, okay, that line's not working. Are you there, Bronwyn? Yes, I am. Where are you calling from? Hi, I'm calling in from Boston. I'm actually a student in Boston, and I just wanted to share that the amount of anti-Semitism I've seen at my school 
has been quite disturbing. Um, a couple days ago, I actually overheard a conversation where two students were quite visibly upset, complaining to a professor that our school has not done more to make them feel safe. I'm also aware of a professor that I'm quite fond of that has moved her classes to Zoom online because she's scared to come to school. It's gotten that bad. Um, I'm very disappointed, I think, in a lot of students and professors to not, because they're not doing more to make people feel safe. And I think it's ridiculous that it's gotten to the point where people are afraid to come to school now. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the call and thank you for calling. I mean, look. Here's one of the challenges is, you know, I, I see people making this distinction, saying, oh, I'm not saying anything that's anti-Semitic. I'm standing up against Israel. That's not the same thing. And I would agree. I think that it's not the same thing. But if this is an anti-Israel movement, why are Jews being attacked? Why are people tearing down flyers of Jews who are held hostage? Why is it, why are people having protests in front of Hillel houses in, in college towns? Why do we have a situation where teachers like Bronwyn describes are moving their class because they, as as Jews, don't feel safe? And that is because, and I appreciate Bronwyn, call us again. And that is because there is a deep, wide anti-Semitic element to all of this. And, and saying that should not come as a surprise to anyone within the sound of my voice. And the people who are not anti-Semites who are engaged in this conversation, are using the same sloppy language as the anti-Semites. Colonizer, apartheid, genocide. If you don't realize what you're, if you are not an anti-Semite tearing down a picture of a Jewish baby who is being held hostage, then what is the explanation And by the way, you are not being doxxed when someone finds out your name and says you're a creep. (laughs) You don't have the right to go out in public and do anti-Semitic, racist, hateful things and then do it in private. No, we're going to find out your name and and whoever goes to hire you the next time or whoever wants to, you know, you should know. You should be held accountable for those things. We're going to come back up to the top of the hour and talk a little bit about what they're doing in Washington about this. Surprise, surprise, not a lot. Or I want to take your calls also on what you think that should be, 800-848-WABC. And then at 4 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in, and we are going to talk with great detail. He and I, both candidates for mayor once upon a time, both who had to raise a bunch of money about the fact that Eric Adams, chief fundraiser, a woman of only 25 years old, is now having boxes taken out of her house by the FBI's part of investigations. Great to have you. Great hour one under under our belts. We're coming back after the top of the hour with more of the middle. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness 
takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Back to the middle. It's a step to the right. Just a jump to the left. And that's the time warp. You know, if you want to know else about me, in addition to doing ska for about 20 years, I was one of these kids when I was a teenager. I'd dress up and go to the 8th Street Playhouse and watch the midnight showings of Rocky Horror. But, you know, that song, Time Warp, works in a couple of levels. We turn back the clocks tonight at 2 a.m. We fall back. We get an extra hour. I need it because Jordan plays hockey at 7 a.m. So you get a lot of extra hours sleep. And also there's a time warp element to what's going on in the Middle East. You know, I've made references to things from the Iron Age in today's show. That's how far back some of these conflicts goes. Conflicts go. But one thing that, that is consistent to time memorial is the fact that, you know, politicians are going to politic. It used to be this idea politics ends at the shore's edge in 2001 when we were attacked. W. Bush became the the most the high he had the highest polling ever in the history of presidential polling. It's like ninety percent at one point, and we are at a point now that even aid to Israel gets caught up in politics. And I've said to you before that if just us, you and me, my dear caller, sat down to try to come up with some of the policies and the big issues of the day, whatever our politics were, we'd be able to do it. Because if we weren't interested in getting reelected, and we just wanted to do the right thing, we'd be able to do it. And I've said before that 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 one of the reasons we have a big and mighty and well-funded military is to protect us in our interests here and abroad. And we right now see in Israel the soldiers of the IDF and the citizens of the people of Israel are fighting a terror organization that would like to come here and kill us too. They said so. They are agents of places like Iran and Russia and and the Saudis that are not of our values. And in Ukraine, it's the Ukrainians who are standing up to those Russians who support Iran, who, who in our coalition with China, who are supporting Hezbollah. Whose side are you on, my listeners? Whose side are you on? And when people say, oh, open-ended war, a proxy war, yes, it's a proxy for us. And what is the purpose of having guns if we're going to keep them in our in 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 our in our holsters rather than give it to the people who are fighting? What's what's the purpose of having this big mighty military? And people say, "Well, oh, well, I don't want to." So here's what Joe Biden, the president of the United States says. Let's provide aid to Israel so they can defeat Hamas 
and Iran and Russia and Hezbollah. And let's provide aid to Ukraine so they can defeat Russia with their allies, China and and Hezbollah and Iran. And let's give money to Taiwan so they can defend themselves against China and their allies, Iran, North Korea, Russia and Hezbollah. And while we're at it, let's put money in so we can hire a thousand more border officers. 1,600 more people that when people come in and ask for asylum, they don't get to wander the streets for four years until they have a hearing. They can have a hearing quickly and then be turned out if they're not eligible. 375 judges to support them. And 100 new of these machines that can screen vehicles to make sure there's no fentanyls hidden in the panels of these cars and trucks where 95% of all the fentanyl comes in. That's We would do that. You and I would do that. And the speaker of the, of the, of the House of Representatives said, well, can we argue a little bit about hiring more IRS officers? What? What? We had that argument. Well, it got passed. This is the, ah. and by the way, the Republicans, and then can't we all come together around standing up to Iran, Russia, China, Hezbollah, and Hamas? Can't we all agree they're not on our side, no matter if we're Democrat or Republican or not? Can't we agree on that? Can't we do anything bipartisan around here? Can't we agree we're against Hamas? We're against Russia? Can't we agree on that? Hundreds and hundreds of millions of social media posts. Is this a study that came out? Let me see if I can find it here. Of social media posts from the, this lovely coalition of China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea flooding our feeds, anti-Israel, anti-the-United States. There are two teams here. If we were to come up with, with a immigration plan, it would be something like this. Let's get some money to the border to try to deal with this stuff. Nope, can't do it because Joe Biden suggested it. Fortunately, in the Senate, they're doing it bipartisan because they, I don't know, not a big fan of the Senate usually, but they're getting this part right. They figured we rally together when our allies are under attack. So let's go to the calls. Um, let's start out this hour with Donald in the city. Hey, Donald, welcome aboard. Hey, uh, Anthony, how are you? Um, so I, I'd like to make a comment. Um, you know, if we want to be genuine instead of disingenuous, you know, um, and not be advocating for this or that, um, I wanted to begin by asking, are you familiar with Professor John Mearsheimer from University of Chicago? He's probably the one of the most preeminent social scientists or, uh, and geopolitical authorities, you know, uh, I guess internationally. Are you familiar with him? I'm not. Why don't you share, share, okay. share what you think you should? Well, well, so look, he has a, he, he gave a lecture to a graduate student, I guess probably a society uh, in geopolitics at the University of Chicago, and it's up on YouTube. And I, and I say that before anyone should or is entitled to have any opinion on the Ukraine, they should probably, you know, 
hold off on it until they see this. Donald, why don't you tell us a little bit about what his or your position is so I have something to respond to. Thanks. Okay, so, so basically this, this thing gives you $100 million worth of education, past, present, future on the Ukraine. And, and the title of the, of the article is um, Why the Ukraine is a West's Fall. And, and it goes in just in a soundbite because it's, it's, it's a very profound lecture and it's worth every bit of your 50 minutes of time, you know, to understand that this, it's just how we've kind of broken every single agreement and treaty, you know, with Russia uh, against NATO uh, advancing eastward and expanding and Ukraine's not countries. Ukraine's not in not in NATO. No, no, I, I didn't say Ukraine was in NATO. I, I said was against the NATO through the United States and, and the city of London. You know their policy of using just the Ukraine as a battering ram against Russia because it's all really. About- I, I know no one's using Ukraine against anything. Russia invaded Ukraine, Donald. No, 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 but, but, but you see, it's always, Anthony, it's always about the backstory. And you have to understand history, uh, otherwise. All right. You, you, you know, so Don, I, 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 I appreciate it. And that was a long, long walk to get to really nowhere. But if the idea is, you know, backstory is fine. You, you, you have a backstory. I just got done doing a whole segment about how you need to have history in order to understand these things. But I don't know what Don, point Donald's making. The here's the here and now. The here and now is that, is that, Joe Biden, the international community warned and told directly that it, uh, and warned the world that Russia was going to be doing this invasion and that if they did, it would be invading a sovereign state and it would be responded to. It's being responded to. You cannot believe that we should stand up to Hamas and not stand up to Hamas's supporters. That's my view. Let's go to Chris in New Jersey. Hey, Chris, welcome aboard. Hey, Anthony, how are you? I'm good, Chris. Welcome uh, back. I, I, uh, I agree with you that we should have armed the Palestinians that wanted to fight Hamas. I also think we should have armed the Afghans to fight the Taliban. But here's my concern. How come you don't see the Palestinians denouncing Hamas that live in Gaza? I don't see that on TV. Well, in 2007... You saw the, the Hamas opponents in the election, the Palestinian Authority, get brutally wiped out. Hamas is not exactly some benign city hall operation over there. If you are, if you try to speak up against Hamas, you're slaughtered. They're a terrorist organization. They don't care about the Palestinians. And by the way, I never suggested we should have armed Fatah against uh, Hamas. If anything, the problem that the Israelis were in, if they try to do anything to help the Palestinian Authority, that's exactly what Hamas was arguing, that the, the Palestinian Authority, which is the governing part, which is what used to be the PLO in the West Bank, was too close and cozy with Israel. Hamas does not support a two-state solution. They support wiping out Israel. Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, under the head, uh, headed by Mahmoud Abbas, with the, they were the party that was in all the negotiations with the United States and with Israel to try to work out a deal. You know, there's a pretty, there's a conventional theory, and I appreciate your calling, Chris. Call us back again. There's a conventional theory that one of the reasons the attack happened now is Hamas wanted to sabotage any efforts at peace that Israel was going to, might have with the Saudis. Now, I don't believe that. It was too far off. I'm not sure I believe it. But the idea of arming the other Palestinians is not the way to go. If anything, the embargo, which is with Israel and Egypt having an embargo against Gaza, 
was because both Egypt and, and, and Israel both realized that allowing arms into the territories would just be used against the Israelis or used against the Egyptians. That's the simple matter. And why don't the people stand up? Well, it's, we, they tried democracy. They couldn't pull it off. They chose Hamas and now they're stuck with them. Now, admittedly, and my mom texted me to remind me of this, that it was a multi-way thing. They only got less than 30% of the vote. And if you took a poll today, they'd probably get 10%. <laughs> well, who knows? They might be popular for the slaughter that they just engaged in. Let's go to, um, let's go to Rich in Queens. Hey, Rich, sorry to keep you waiting so long. Not a problem. Uh, I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to start my comment by asking you, uh, if you ever got a chance to, uh, look at the Council for the National Interest, or are you familiar with it at all? Rich, Rich, uh, you, you, you often have great calls except for the parts when you refer me to read stuff and that kind of thing. Just why don't you get to whatever thought you might be interesting in there and I'll try to respond to it. Okay, fair enough. Well, the council was actually founded uh, by two Republicans, uh, by the way. Um, you know, one is uh, Pete McCluskey, and the other gentleman was Paul Finley. And basically what it uh, asserts is that we should be pursuing more of a neutral foreign policy in the Middle East. And I fully concur with that. Now, before you know, people could inundate the airwaves uh, with a lot of vitriol, you know, I want to point out that you know, what's going on in Washington right now with regard to the, they're talking about $40 billion in U.S. taxes to go to a wealthy country whose economy is even better shaped than ours. Israel has a better balance of payments than we do. They have lower unemployment than we do. They have the, the standard of living. They have a welfare state that would be enviable among most Americans. Well, can I ask Again, you about this, this idea of neutrality? Or was that what you referred to, like neutrality or balance, whatever it is? So, between, say, ISIS and Turkey or um, al-Qaeda and the United States or Hamas and Israel, we should be we should stay out. Yeah, I think that's the best way to avoid bringing the bloodshed and the blood feuds and hatreds of that region of the world here to the United States. You think that would Americans work? Get killed. You think that, you know, when so you think that will protect ourselves by not helping to defeat these organizations. They'll just be nice and go somewhere else. You know, uh, can I can I respond? Yeah, it was a, it was a rhetorical and a literal question. Okay, so basically, you have to keep in mind that before 1948, I want the audience to know the United States had no enemies in that region of the world. None, not one. And the only reason why Hezbollah and uh, Hamas... There were no democracies in that part of the world for us to support. So you believe we should support, we should not stand up for anyone. We should have the biggest, most powerful military in the world and only use it to defend our physical border? Now, listen, the, the mission of a democracy, not a democracy, the founders did not want a democracy. They wanted a republic. Now, the mission of a free republic is not to go around the, uh, the world as the neoconservatives believe, wasting taxpayer money and killing young Americans in the military. No, 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 hold on, but Rich, but Rich, remember something. There are no young Americans in the military fighting Putin right now. There's no young Americans in the military fighting Hamas right now. You're missing the point. The point is that, you know, basically other countries that have other political systems, 
That it's not our responsibility to say, listen, you have to have a country. It is not it Congress. is not our responsibility, but it is in our interest. And I I appreciate Rich taking that position because as he expected, he got a little bit of blowback for it. The idea that we, the United States of America, don't have interests that affect our own people anywhere except in our own borders, that means allowed Everyone else who calls into these airwaves are like, we've got to stop the Chinese from doing this. We've got to stop the Russians from this. We've got to stop the terrorists from doing this. We've got to stop North Korea from doing that. Hey, I believe that even the most isolationist person would have to say, given a choice between defending our interests with our troops or defending our interests with an ally troops and our guns, the second is preferable. The do- the the cat is out of the bag. I almost said the dog is out of the bag. The cat is out of the bag. We have to fight terrorists where they are. Or else they're going to come here. We learned that on September 11th. Just hoping they don't doesn't work. And right now, the men and women of the military in Israel are doing that. And the men and women in the military in Ukraine are doing that. And the least we can do, the very least we can do, is give them a bunch of weapons made in the United States. To go help them do it while we sit back and watch it on TV. I mean, that's the thing. We fought a, how long was the war in Afghanistan? With our troops desperately trying to stand up the Afghan military and the Afghan government. Billions of dollars, desperately, thousands of lives lost to try to stand it up, to try to take on the Taliban so we didn't have to. Never could do it. And here we have two strong allies valiantly fighting against the forces of, of, of evil. I don't know how else to put it. We should be there for them because we are not the side of evil. We're the side of good with the United States of America. God bless us. And I'll see you on the other side of the break. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. This is 77 WABC Radio, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Christian's taking your calls. Ava is on the board. Kevin is supervising things. I'm taking you until 4 o'clock. And then Curtis Leo and I, look, no one knows more about fundraising to run for mayor than me and Curtis. And no one knows more about ways to make fun of Eric Adams uh, than Curtis. So i got to bring my A game today. You know who's doing a great job? Christian's taking your calls. And so here, I'll let you behind the curtain a little bit. He takes the call. He says, hey, where are you from? And he says, what would you like to talk to Anthony about? And then he puts it into the computer, and it comes up on my board, and I get to say, you know, whatever, Bob. And whatever. So he just put up a call. 
um, as someone wants to call about the smuggling of arms to therapists. <laughs> I don't know if my therapist is listening. That, that would be an idea. Why don't we smuggle arms to therapists? It would be so much better because I doubt they'd be so quick on the trigger. Anyway, we're trying to keep it um, light. I, you know, I said this at the very top of the program. I am having so much trouble. It's creeping into like my dreams. I'm having trouble sleeping a little bit at night. I'm not listening to as much radio as, and you know, I love listening to the station, but I haven't been. Television is tough for me to watch. I just really have a sense of powerlessness about this. And it's just, and I'm sure this is true whenever there are things around the world that are in your homeland. You know, we are a very international city, 150 50 different countries represented here. Um, but I'm feeling it. And I told a story last week or the week before. When I was at Union Temple at one of the two reformed synagogues in Park Slope where I grew up, it's like the Sharks and the Jets, I remember at Sunday school being sent home wearing, you know, to wear a pin during the night. It must have been during the Yom Kippur War with a pin that said, I am a Zionist, and being kind of disoriented by that because I knew racists, I knew Marxists, I knew communists. I, well, most of the ists I knew were not good things to be. So this has been a very troubling, kind of difficult time. So it's funny to see someone say smuggle arms to therapists because I'm sure mine probably thinks I – anyway. Let's go to Edward in Tampa. Hey, Edward, thank you for calling in. Yeah, Denny, thank you for taking my call. Well, here's a suggestion for TV instead of all this reality TV. Let's have the pro-Palestine and pro-Israel on a focus study live on TV instead of all these other reality TVs on prime time. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're onto something in that I think that by and large what you'll learn if you do that is that history, depending upon where you start history, supporters of the Palestinians and supporters of the Israelis will be able to tell a story that to some degree says their side has a right to do A, B, or C. And there have been very, very... There have been successful talks to some degree between the Palestinians and the Israelis, just the same way we had the Camp David Accords between the Egyptians and the Israelis. There is, you know, people talk about aid to Israel. Every dollar of aid to Israel, and aid goes to the same amount goes to Egypt. That's part of the Camp David Accords. Every year we vote for aid to Egypt. Israel is basically at peace with Jordan now. They, there have been conversations, the Y River Accords, Camp David Accords to try to the Oslo Accords to try to get the Palestinians to agree to basically what the Israelis have given. They've given on the on the border lines. They basically everything but going back to the 1967 borders. And even that, I bet you, the Israelis would agree in if it meant actual peace. But I think you'd really learn something. And Edward is onto something. If you took, if you plucked a random kid, I say kid because a lot of them are young a random group of people out of these Palestinian rallies. And you ask them to explain their position. They would not be able to do it very effectively because they don't know what they don't know. And to the extent that they do know, their position amounts to get rid of the Jews in that part of the world. And that Israel doesn't have a right to exist. And that's why they don't say Hamas give back the hostages. They just say ceasefire. It'd be very easy to say Cease fire, return the hostages on one sign. You could do it. They don't do that because on some some part of them, sometimes they say it out loud. Sometimes they say it by implication. They don't mind what the what Hamas did. They feel it's it's 
that kind of savagery and barbarism is justified. They use words like genocide and, 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 and apartheid and ethnic cleansing and colonization. And as I explained earlier in the show, and by the way, this will be up in a pod, as a podcast if you miss any part of that, those things are ahistorical at best, racist at worst. Let's go to Dom in Minnesota. Hey, Dom, welcome aboard. Yeah, um, Anthony, first off, I want to laud you for your response to that earlier caller that uh, said talk show hosts should shut up and just listen to the caller. People need to realize that talk show hosts are vigorous sharing of opinions, which is what makes it interesting and informative, at least for me. You know, um, I, I like it or not, Rush Limbaugh, who I used to listen to occasionally, said, you know, your talent on loan from God. You're getting there quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank but, you, Dom. And, yeah. and Dom, just so you know, if you ever have a talk show, I'll call into your show. Thank you, sir. No, because I think, you know, I, I guess you have managed to change my opinion dramatically about you, you know, when you got caught up in that scandal. And, you know, I, the more I listened to you, it was, okay, you are being so reasonable. And that's what we need, because otherwise one-way conversation is not very interesting. Nobody's going to call in. It's become it's going to become, uh, you know, just, just like a news uh, media. But I, you know, the problem with that is a lot of our own people, as far as you were talking about Hamas, and people are calling in saying, okay, ceasefire, you know, let them be, let, let them be whatever. But I saw some of the videos sent to me by friends in Europe and in Asia about the atrocities that, that they were, they had committed. And the problem with our own American universities are creating this, 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 this cabal thinks that, okay, so we are the oppressor, Israel is the oppressor. I would have given my right arm to get admitted to some of these Ivy League schools, Yale, MIT, Cornell, whatever, but I was pursuing college education. <clears throat> but the problem now is that some of these people are becoming so, uh, for lack of a better word, leftist that, you know, some of these kids, they were, the, the TV host was asking, what do you think, what are you fighting for? I don't know, I'm here with my friends. They don't even know what the hell they're kind of striking about. That's the problem. We well, have. I think there's something, Dom, I really do think there's something to that. And there's something else. And thank you very much for calling, Dom. You always bring a lot to the table. The other thing is there is this when when you're a, a professor in a, in a college and you try to form a narrative line through history and you fall in love with something like this notion of the colonizer or the whiteness or things like that, it checks a lot of boxes. But in Israel, where about 5 million of the 9 million people that are there are Mizrahi, or descendants of Arab and Persian lands, it just doesn't fit. And any professor that doesn't say, hey, my little theory here that I like so much doesn't fit right now, it's hard to say when you're a professor. That You have to kind of say, all right, this is the exception to the rule. And when you talk about the, you know, the colonization the european colonization of israel jumps just because it was the britain the brits that had the british mandate from the united nations i thought one of the things that liberal professors always teach is the rule of law and the value of the united nations and negotiations and things like that all over the globe are these are these these big empires that collapsed and now there are smaller countries that have been created. And what that means is then sometimes leave and go to other places, just the same way the Jews of Baghdad 
left and were kicked out. The Jews of Cairo left and were kicked out. The Jews of Beirut left and were kicked out. And they went to Israel, and that's where they live now. It just doesn't fit the 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 narrative of colonization. It doesn't fit the narrative of white, you know, imperialists. You can still hold that philosophy about other things. It just doesn't fit. The indigenous people of that part of the world are the Jews. Are they alone? No. Jeez, I'm crow, no. Muhammad, Moses, and Jesus Christ all went to the same high school. Moses was on the swim team, of course, since he parted the water and ran across. Do we have a, one of those symbol sound effects, Ava? We need that for me. Anyway, the point being that that's exactly true, that in universities today and in a lot of schools of thought as well as philosophies that you can define all of the world's problems by these catchphrases. And if you just apply them carefully enough, they fit. Not in this case. Nineteen forty eight comes, there's a proposal by the United Nations that is adored by the left to divide up these lands in a way that made sense to them. It the Israelis didn't like it. And by the way, the original settlers there to that part of the world didn't show up and say, Give us a country. It was years later until after, you know, they were there for a long time. It was years after after the Shoah, after the Holocaust. That they said, hey, let's have a country and the United Nations try to make one for the Palestinians as well. You know, we talk about the partition plan. The other side of that partition, including East Jerusalem, including the West Bank, including um, 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 these these lands that are in dispute, not Gaza, that was still part of Egypt, was a country for the Palestinians. If you care, if you have sympathy, if you have empathy, if you have Rachmanus, for the plight of the Palestinians, it is fine to talk about Israel's contribution to their plight. And, and the Israelis don't have clean hands. But for goodness sakes, is Hamas whose side you want to be on? The people that cut people's head, that cut babies heads off and take, and take hostages at peace festivals? And you give no responsibility to the Palestinians at all? No responsibilities to the Arab states of the world who not only did not accept the partition plan, but declared war on Israel? 20 nations? How blind do you have to be? Pretty blind to be a professor at Harvard University, I guess. And we'll be right back with the middle. Play 77 WABC. Streaming 77 WABC Radio. 
It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. I'll be taking you to four o'clock. Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. At that point, we've had a great conversation. Some great callers today talking about the situation in the Middle East. I thought this hour we talk a little bit more domestically, but people want to focus more on the other. And I get it. I get it. I mean, this is, people have a lot to get off their chest. I'm focusing most much of my remarks to my left. We have a problem on the right that is just out of control. The anti-Semitism online and and a lot of use of this moment to, you know, be graffitiing swastikas and saying crazy things on Twitter and things like that. We have a problem. And, I mean, we're something like 2% of the population, 60% of the hate speech right now, according to the FBI. It's These are some choppy times, no doubt about it. Let's go to Robert in Riverhead. Hey, Robert, welcome aboard. Hi, thank you, Anthony. Biden administration is giving... Material support to terrorists, both by having an open border and wanting to give aid and having given aid to the terrorists. The terrorists are criminals, and Israel is fighting terrorism. What what There's what, no what aid did they give? On. What aid did they give to the terrorists? Just catch me up on that. Letting them come in this country with an open border, giving them bus rides and flights into our country, using the NGOs. So. So you think these people are coming, the terrorists are coming in and, I don't know, Robert, I'm having two impulses now. You can help me with which one I should do. I can tell you how ridiculous that position is, or I can just go to the next caller. Which would you prefer? Uh, uh, I'd like to hear you explain how that's not the case. Fair enough, Robert. Look, um, the laws that exist in the United States as relates to immigration are the same as they were under under Joe Biden, under Donald Trump. He just proposed a 1,000 more officers at the border, 1,600 more hearing officers to make, to, to screen the people as they come in. Everything Republicans say they want, and it's the Republicans that say no. True or false? They're not giving the Republicans everything that is necessary. No, no. They're, they're giving, I'm just, I just gave you a list of what was in Biden's proposal. They refused to even give it a vote. A thousand more officers, 1,600 asylum officers, 375 judges, 100 new screening uh, machines for fentanyl. Are, are you in favor of those things? Yes. Of course you are. So am I, Robert. Welcome to the Joe Biden for re-election campaign. 
Stop it with the madness. The Republicans, I have said this to you a thousand times, Republicans don't want to solve the problems of immigration. They want the issue. So Joe Biden gives them an emergency supplemental that says Israel, Ukraine, border, and Taiwan to stand up to China. All the things the Republicans say they're for. And says, here, do your stuff. And they say no, because they want the issue. That's why only, what was that number? That's why like 17% of the American people support the Republicans in Congress and why they're going to lose the House. 12% approve the way the Republicans are running the House, 72 against. That's the problem. And I bet you, I mean, I hung up on Bob, I'm sorry about that, but I bet you if he and I sat down, and you, my caller, you, my listener, if we sat down and tried to work out a solution to the immigration problem, we would do the same exact kind of stuff. More people trolling the border, more hearing officers so someone doesn't come in and get a piece of paper that says come back in four years, then come back in four days. More judges that oversee those people. More of these big things that trucks and cars can go through 10 an hour and get scanned so that the fentanyl that's in the, the panels. These people think... People are not bringing fentanyl walking across a river. They're U.S. citizens that are bringing it in. It's less likely for them to be stopped. And they're bringing in cars and trucks. Don't ask. Don't depend on me for that. Depend on the DEA under Donald Trump that said that. So they have these big screening machines. I've talked about it before on the show. We would say, let's buy more of those to keep fentanyl out. And then Joe Biden does it, and instead, you want to own the libs, the Republicans in Congress, the new the new Speaker Johnson, the serious times, which demand serious stuff. And the Republicans say, no, we want to reduce the number of IRS agents, which obviously increases our deficit. Insane. Let's go to Mark in Bergen. Hey, Mark. Hey, Anthony. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I, I wanted to touch on what you said about the Gaza Strip and all the weapons that they have there. If you just look at the map, they're only coming in from Egypt borders it, which, by the way, is an American ally or this or the water. They're not coming in through Israel and they have tens of thousands of rockets there. They're only coming in, I would say, 95 percent through Egypt. Yeah, well, before. yeah, yeah you're, you're right. You're, you're right. Look here. The, this is a constant game of whack-a-mole in tunnels coming in through Egypt. And Egypt has been pretty vigilant about it. But a lot of them are what you said. They're rockets, not missiles. They're fairly primitive. They have a lot, a lot of them. And a lot of them are being created there. I mean, that's that's the truth. And that's why when, that's why, thank God, there has been a fairly high success rate of sometimes close to 100% of knocking them down using the Iron Dome because they're basically just rockets. They're not missiles of any sort that are guided in any real way. But those weapons, and I want to tell you, this is part of the criticism my Israeli friends who are on the right, left, and middle have of Bibi Netanyahu, that there is this argument that has been made that basically Bibi kind of pursued the strategy of containing Hamas, but really not doing anything to really smash them because he didn't want to do the much tougher thing, which is deal in peace talks with an empowered and a built up Palestinian authority that he basically thought that he had Hamas in a box. They had these fairly primitive rockets. They didn't really they had plenty of information about what they were doing and didn't really take it seriously. And, 
And that's, that's the, that's the problem. But that's where I don't, I believe, look, the Egyptians and Mark is still on the line. Mark, if you want to respond, but the Egyptians have it in their interest to keep Hamas bottled up. Remember, Hamas started out as the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood started, uh, started out, um, killing presidents of Egypt. Yeah, but Anthony, the point is, I agree that a lot of these missiles that they are put together in the Gaza Strip, but they have to have the explosives. It's coming in from somewhere. It's not coming in from Israel. It's coming in from either Egypt or they're smuggling in. No, no, they're not. No, I, I, I answered that. They're not missiles. They're just rockets. So they have a propellant and they're very, they're fairly dumb. Um, they're dumb things. They're dumb rockets. And so they're manufacturing them there. That's one of the reasons they have 400,000 gallons of fuel on, underground there was to do this manufacturing there. Now, that's the line. Of, that's what the Israelis say. The Israeli now they might be just covering their butt. And I know that there's a perpetual problem with um, um, tunnels coming in from Egypt. And if you remember, not so long ago, I think it's 2010, there was this convoy coming in from Turkey that the Israeli Navy intercepted and wind up killing some civilians on those boats. It created this huge international incident. And part of the reason that Israel said they had to be so vigilant is that people who bring in so-called building supplies were supplies that Hamas was using to build up their war machine. But Mark's not, Mark, you might be onto something. I think something, there is going to be a lot to learn, and thank you for calling. There's going to be a lot to learn about the failure of the Israeli military complex, uh, the military industrial is an American term, the um, uh, um, intelligence complex in Israel already, um, Mossad and the IDF have both said they were aware of this buildup and didn't do enough about it. Bibi Netanyahu refuses to take any responsibility, but there is real questions being asked about this letdown in, in, in intelligence by the Israelis and how it was that that Hamas was able to develop this this type of of, of, of armaments. Now, remember, in 2014, they dropped 4,000 rockets on Israel. It's been about 16, 17, 1800 up to now, or maybe maybe it's gotten up to 2000 now. But really, the attack, that barbaric attack of now three weeks ago, it was going through the gate. It wasn't missiles or rockets or anything. It was going, running over the fences, coming in there in, in, in paragliders, driving in there with, with guns in, in a way that didn't require a great deal of technology, but required a great deal of planning and intelligence. And we'll be right back on the middle. Someone's at the door. Who could it be? Yeah, yeah. Who is it? Find out who it is. Vinny Madugno. Well, what you think? You're going to love every little ounce of it. It's going to sound so good. Music Radio 77 WABC presents. Hi, I'm Vinny Madugno from the Vinny Madugno Show. Tonight at 5 p.m. Join me as I get you prepped for a great evening of music on WABC. 
finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Welcome us back to the middle, taking you to the top of the hour. At the top of the hour, Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. You will have on your airwaves maybe two people who know the rules, the regulations, the pitfalls, and the ways to be corrupt in fundraising to be mayor of the city of New York. And unfortunately, that last one may have happened because uh, Eric Adams Chief fundraiser under investigation, at least it seems that way, because there was a raid of her home. And miraculously or mysteriously, the mayor turned around from from Washington and came immediately back to New York, calling more attention to the issue. But Curtis and I are going to talk about that. As you might imagine, Curtis will have a gleeful sound in his voice. We have time for a couple more calls. We're talking about the Middle East. Let's go to Alex in California. Hey, Alex, welcome aboard. Hi, thank you for taking my call, and congratulations on your very successful talk show. I want to say that the Washington should maintain the battle group in the Mediterranean Sea to support Israel militarily, but should stop sending aid, pack, aid packages uh, because Israel is a wealthy nation, and it should pay for the full cost of weapons. At the same time, we can't support two wars. Uh, the American people cannot, so Washington should stop sending aid packages to the Ukraine, but should continue selling weapons to Ukraine uh, by way of Europe. So the Europeans will finance the war in Ukraine, and they will pay for American weapons, because uh, Europe doesn't have the military capacity to produce such weapons, and only the United States does. But the issue here is that we can't support two wars. Let's support Israel. Their values are closer to ours. And as far as Ukraine is concerned, that's in the European theater, and Europeans should finance that war. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair that's a fair position. Like basically, and now the Europeans are providing much more support than we are to Ukraine, and they're bearing the brunt in terms of cutting off their own supply of oil that they used to buy from the Russians and things like that. And they are much more at the front line. Now, remember, we are a member of a treaty organization that kind of says we're all in this together. So despite your best wishes, and I think, I think it was Bob earlier, we have now entered that cat, that cat is out of the bag. That horse has left the barn. I'm getting my expressions all mixed up today. That horse has left the barn. We are part of an international coalition. 
The question I would have for Alex and for others is, what if spending some now prevents us needing to spend five, six, seven times as much later and maybe even putting U.S. lives in line? Then, Alex, don't you think making these investments now makes sense? Uh Yes, there is a trade-off where you have to consider the cost now versus the cost in the future. And that's why I'm saying that we should support Israel militarily. They share our values, and we've got to, we've got to help them. They're a small country. Well, so does Ukraine. I mean, U- Ukraine's a democracy that is standing up against our, form- our most formative enemy in the region. We should help Ukraine, but it's the Europeans who should finance that. So we no, no, I know what you're saying, but Alex, but I'm saying, first of all, I mean, uh, one thing to understand, and thank you very much for the call. One thing we have to understand is a lot, what we're basically doing for the Ukrainians is giving them weapons. That's not all we're doing, but that's 90% of what we're doing is giving them U.S. weapons. And of those U.S. weapons, 75% of the budget to make those U.S. weapons is here in the United States. So we're basically giving them stuff we make, and we're replacing it with other stuff that we make. But the one thing we're not putting on the barrel head is U.S. lives. So I just want to put that out there. Secondly, about Israel – the armaments we're providing them are basically reinforcements for technology they already have, things like the Iron Dome, some technological things that we don't give to every country, we don't sell to every country that we would maybe do during war. It is not exactly clear yet exactly what a lot of it is going to be reinforced stuff they already have, like the Iron Dome. Their, their technology, their military technology is excellent. Listen, this has been a good conversation. I was hoping I'd get a few more calls from people who are defending the Palestinian side of this, but I think I made such an an impressive, articulate, and airtight explanation of this that I'm pretty sure a lot of these protests are now going to go away and everyone's going to agree that we should support Israel and try to wipe out this terrorist state. It's been great having all of you along. We'll be back next week for another two-hour episode of The Middle coming up at 4 o'clock. As I said, Curtis Lee was going to be coming in. we got plenty to chew over here, plenty to talk about. And I want to express my thanks to the callers this week. Once again, the callers were excellent. An earlier caller suggested he had kind of a meta suggestion that maybe the callers run the show and I just listen. But having the conversation has been really exceptional. These are difficult times, and I'm really glad we have this opportunity to talk them over. Um, it's great to have you along aboard. I want to thank Ava, Christian, and Kevin. We'll see you at the top of the hour for Left versus Right. Take care now. It's not the green, but you love-